Welcome to Head, Heart, and Hands, the teaching fellowship of Bob Carter, pastor of River City Reformed Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. The Bible teaches that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. We want to help you do just that. First, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a call to our heads. God wants us to think and to think correctly. Second, the gospel is also a call to our hearts. We are to love God and to love what God loves. And the gospel is a call to our hands. To action, real change and transformation. Now let's join our teacher, Bob Carter, for today's challenging message. The sermon this morning is entitled, Fighting the Good Fight. It is a reference in 1 Timothy twice, it says that, in 1 Timothy. And then I subtitled it, The Faith Hall of Fame or the Hall of Shame. That will make more sense as we unfold it this morning, looking at this. I mentioned earlier that today is typically, historically, All Saints Day in the history of the church, either the 1st of November or the first Sunday in November in which we do reflect upon that passage in Hebrews 11, in which the writer reflects on so many people who were greatly filled with faith by God and served God in valiant ways. The Lord Christ says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And in the Bible, as you read the Bible, you see examples over and over and over again, beginning in the very first book in Genesis, how remarkably good God is to us that in the book of Genesis we see so much difficulty and overcoming. It could be that he starts out with everything just going well for the whole 50 chapters. And then later on kind of introduce, well, some people have a little tough time. But Abraham had a tough time, and Isaac had a tough time, and some others had a tough time, and Joseph himself, 12 chapters are given to the challenging circumstances of Joseph. And so when we study scripture, we see God as he is, and we see the reality that this life has a lot of struggle in it, and God is honest about that. The challenge is that we ourselves are often in denial about that, so that when struggle comes, we're surprised. But we want to read the Word of God and know what it says. We want to know biblical history. It will help us to understand how others have exercised their faith, how God has worked in them and through them and in spite of them, And then church history does the same thing. Where the Bible ends, the last 2,000 years, God has been working through people. There are all kinds of examples, and people have written about it themselves. Others have written about others uh, who did it. Just absolutely phenomenal things that people have done over a course of many years serving God in great faithfulness and difficulty. When I first started studying the missionaries of Church history and uh, the British Missionary Society, 1792. They started coming to Africa and they didn't know anything about malaria. And hundreds of them came over a period of several years. And most of them died in the first month or two. So much so that the norm became that when they greeted the boats for new missionaries coming, they didn't take them to their quarters right away. The first thing they did was take them to the graveyard and show them the names of three names, three dates on every tombstone, the day they were born, 
the day they arrived on the Gold Coast of Africa and the day they died. Let them know up front what they're up against. Well, here's the question for you this morning. What will your history be? When we think of Hebrews 11, the writer there talks about some great things that God did through those people. And in every case, it's a situation of overcoming. Great difficulty in overcoming. So what will your history be? Will you stand on the reading of God's word as we turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy? We're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is, of course, the Apostle Paul writing to a disciple of his, a student of his, Timothy. And he talks about the great uh, dangers of the lure of the world and misunderstanding and confusion and doing the wrong things. But then in verse 11, he exhorts Timothy to not be like that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 11. But flee from these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Will you pray with me, please? God, we do pray that you would bless us now. Lord, there must be a lot of different thoughts that would crowd into individuals' minds at this time. And yet our prayer, God, is that you would overpower each of us and clear our minds that we might receive your word in faith. That it would come upon our hearts as upon seed like good soil. That the roots would go down deep. That the fruit would come up in 30, 60, and 100 fold. We ask God that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen. On the back of your bulletin, as I mentioned, there is that card. I urge you to take that card off of that bulletin today and place it in the front seat of your car, on your mirror in your bathroom, or in your kitchen, or wherever you might see it the most, and commit it to memory. We are to memorize Scripture. In Pilgrim's Progress, Christian and faithful are captured by the giant of despair, and they're thrown into Doubting Castle, and they are there for quite some time. And the giant comes and threatens them one night and says, Tomorrow I'm going to kill you. And they're up all night praying. And then Christian reaches into his chest pocket. And he pulls out a key. And on the side of the key it says promise. 
and he remembers the precious promises of God's word. And Faithful says, try it in the lock, perhaps it'll work. And he does. But it doesn't work at first. But it seems like it fits. And they jiggle it and they jiggle it and finally the lock springs and the door opens and they escape from Doubting Castle and the giant of despair. John Bunyan was saying to his congregation, preach to yourself. Learn the word of God. Preach to yourself. And so this passage will help us. It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And by faith, it doesn't mean you've got to believe like that sign you always see at the World Series. It doesn't mean that. It means our faith in something. Faith has an object. It means our faith in God, our faith in Jesus Christ, our faith in the perfections of God, our faith in the faithfulness of God, our faith in the power of God and the goodness of God. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And there is much to overcome. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Turning your Bibles to Hebrews 11 that we might see what this Sunday is about and what Paul is mindful of even as he's writing to Timothy. Just a couple of pages over from our text in Hebrews 11. Most of you know this as the, the Hall of Fame of Faith. Hebrews chapter 11 mentions a number of people who did well. Blessed by God, they did well. I'm not going to read the whole passage. I encourage you to read it this afternoon, though. But just for a few verses to remind us of what this great chapter is about. Look at verse 11, uh, 17. Excuse me. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. The idea there was great wrestling in his heart and soul that God would ask him to offer his only son after he had already promised him that it's through this son that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But Abraham understood that God was speaking to him, and he understood that God could bring Isaac back from the dead. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. And it was to whom he had said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. Because he laid him down on the altar and was ready to take his life, and then God spared him. What a phenomenal demonstration of faith that was. And then we see in verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict who had said all Hebrew children should be killed, males particularly. So, Again, they're showing faith, but then Moses, in verse 24, by faith Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And then in verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. So he listens to God, and then he does what God says, and he looks to God for God to be faithful. In verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. And by faith Rahab the harlot did not perish. Verse 33, talking about others who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. 
Women received back their dead by resurrection. And others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised in this life, because God had promised something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. God is telling us up front that there are others who have gone through great things and God has brought them through them. And then in the same passage, because God is so good, he tells us that not everybody does come through it. That some people he brings through difficulty and he just gives them difficulty and he doesn't necessarily deliver them. There were many who were put to death in the first couple of centuries of the church that God chose not to deliver and yet they were strong in faith. And so we see the reality here that God has promised something better. God has promised something better, and that is eternal life with them. So, the Apostle Paul is mindful that Timothy is a young man, and he wants Timothy to walk like these people in the Bible. And he knows that just like these people in the Bible, there's going to be all things coming against them. Well, an example of that would be in Numbers 14. I want you to turn in your Bible to Numbers 14. The Old Testament is full of examples of how good God is and how faithful he is and how he has worked to his glory through the lives of other people. This is the passage of sending in the spies to the promised land. They're going to take the promised land, but wisely they go in and they want to make sure, they want to understand the geography of it and they want to understand exactly what's going on. So they send in spies. This is in Numbers 13. Numbers 13 is where it is uh, set out uh, in some degree. I'm not going to read the whole passage at all now, but that's where he, he, he picks out one person from every tribe and, and he uh, sends them in. And they come back with a report. Chapter 13, verse 26. One man from every tribe, so 12 men. These are valiant men. These are warriors who go in. And here's the report. Chapter 13, or verse 25. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They called it the Valley of Clusters because the clusters of grapes were so big. That's what they're referring to. They brought some of those clusters back hanging on a pole that two men carried. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. And it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They're holding it over their shoulders. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land, the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites. And the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea. And by the side of the Jordan, where have they come from? They've come from Egypt, a much stronger country than any of these countries they just named. A much mighty army has been drowned in the Red Sea than any of these. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses 
and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. Pharaoh was too strong for them, and they have already forgotten. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. What a phenomenal reality here. Now, I want to point something out to you. In Hebrews, that I hope you're going to read this afternoon, it names a number of people. What a phenomenal thing to be named in the book of Hebrews. Now, these are valiant men, and it names them, who did great things, and women, Rachel and some of the others, it names them, Rahab, names them. So, wow, what great things they did. Look at chapter 13 here. It names these men who gave a bad report. There were 12 of them, and only Joshua and Caleb came back with a confidence that God would be able to do it. Verse 4, these then were their names from the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zakur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, one of the two that actually believes Seven, from the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea. That, of course, is Joshua's name. Joshua's name was Hosea. Moses changed it to Joshua. Hosea, the son of Nun. And he goes on and names the rest of them. Chapter 13 in the book of Numbers is the faith hall of shame. Ten men named who were warriors who come back and tell Moses, yes, it's a phenomenal land. And look, here's the, here's the evidence of it right here. But then they report to the congregation that they're afraid. Afraid, forgetting what God has already done when he brought them out of Egypt and drowned Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea right in front of them. This is not the second generation. This is the very generation that came out of Egypt as slaves. Look at chapter 14. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Brothers and sisters, difficulties come our way and we slander the Almighty by forgetting what He has done and who He is. And God brings the difficulties across our path that we might see His glory. It is in the context of great difficulty that God's glory shines the brightest And God wants his glory to shine bright. God wants his glory to shine bright. It is such a tragic situation here. Look at verses 6 through 9. We're still in chapter 14. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh 
of those who had spied out the land tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation. Listen carefully to this. Two men against several million. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel saying, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. There are many times in the life of a believer which the vast majority of people around them are opposed to them. And who are these people? Remind yourself, these are not atheists. This is the visible church. This is the visible church, more than two million of them having come out of Egypt. These are the people who know who God is. These are the people who celebrated the Passover and were delivered from the angel of death the night before they came out of Egypt. This is the visible church, and they're ready to stone the invisible church. Those who truly believe in God. Those who know and love God and trust Him. That will happen to us. It has happened to many of you already. It will happen to you again. Both great difficulty in which God's glory will shine the brightest and in the midst of great difficulty you'll be surrounded with people who will tell you to go another way or to turn back. But Joshua and Caleb won't do it. I want you to look at verse 22. We're still in chapter 14. God pardons their sin, but then he promises them that they will not go into the land, but he'll let their children go in. And so he draws a line in the sand right there in front of everybody. He says, anybody standing here today who is 20 and over will not go into the promised land. But I'll let your children go in. And I'm going to let Joshua and Caleb go in because of their faithfulness. Look at verse 22. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt, and in the wilderness yet have put me to test these ten times. This was not the first time they had doubted God. And he's been keeping a record, and he says, this is the tenth. What would God say about each of us? About how many times we have tested him and doubted him, although he is worthy of our trust. Tested me these three times, and have not listened to my voice. And shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. But my servant Caleb. Caleb in Hebrew means grip. The word for dog in Hebrew is C-E-L-E-B. Caleb. Because a dog will grab you and won't let go. And Caleb means grip. It means loyal. It means holding fast to what you know to be true. My servant Caleb is holding fast here in the midst of difficulty. My servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit. That's verse 24. Mark that and spend some time with that this week. Verse 24, 
there are two million people here, and God singles out two of them and said, Joshua and Caleb have a different spirit. I often encourage you to pray the scriptures. That's a scripture to pray. God, may I have a different spirit. May my children have a different spirit. May my family, may the church of God where I worship have a different spirit than the visible church. Because he has had a different, I mean, verse 24, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants and shall take possession of it. How good God is. And he promises later in verse 30 that Joshua will be part of that as well. There is overwhelming opposition. The whole congregation wants to stone them, it says in verse 10. And that is the case today. There is overwhelming opposition among religious people. And there is overwhelming opposition in the world. And yes, there will be overwhelming opposition in the military for Kyle and for others who enter the military, there will be overwhelming opposition as you're surrounded by those who are embarrassed by the things of God, who do not believe in the things of God, or are quickly brought into the vortex of the foolishness and immorality of many. Well, what is the result of those in the hall of shame? He names them. In chapter 13, and in chapter 14, look, in chapter 14, verse 36, after he's told them that they will not enter the promised land, but their children will, verse 36, as for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. I want you to think for just a minute. What would it have been like? Think for just a minute. What would it have been like when those 12 men were selected? There's 600,000 men who are able to go to war. But 12 men were selected, one from every tribe, to go into the promised land and to spy it out. They would have been filled with delight. They would have been marching out of their shoulder to shoulder with their heads held high. That out of 600,000 men, God chose us to go into the promised land. And here we go. We're going on a mission from God. And ten of them come back and are executed by God. Brothers and sisters, that's not something like God. That is God. That is God. He is greatly to be feared. He is greatly to be feared. We must understand who he is and recognize how awesome he is, how good he is, and then recognize our great need of a Savior. If you're sitting here this morning, please hear this. If you're sitting here this morning and thinking that you are Joshua or Caleb, there's a good chance you're mistaken. But for the grace of God, 
we have already, by our lives, by our sin, by our coldness of heart, by our foolishness, we have brought back a bad report again and again. And God has poured His wrath upon Christ as our substitute. We do not stand here and say, wow, what dopes they were. We say, there before the grace of God go I. I am weak. I am easily tossed about. I need a Savior. John Newton says late in his life, I know two things. I'm a great sinner. And he's a great Savior. John Newton does not say late in his life, I am Joshua. John Newton, the preacher, says late in his life, I'm a great sinner. And he's a great Savior. And we see the great need that we have for Christ. And we see the faithfulness of God. And we see even right here in the passage, it says that Caleb had a different spirit. Where did he get that different spirit? God gave it to him. God gave him that different spirit. And we're to cry out to God that he would give us such a different spirit. That he would give us the spirit in the mind of Christ. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, writing in The Cost of Discipleship, says when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Difficulties, where your life is on the line or your faith is on the line, difficulties are opportunities to see into the condition of your soul. They are opportunities to see into the condition of your soul. Challenging providences are an x-ray for Christians. And you can hold them up to the light and see how you're doing and how you trust God. Genuineness, you can test the genuineness and strength of your faith only in difficult circumstances. Christ is our example in this as well as our substitute. He knows and rests in the nature of God. He knows the character of God. He is the Word made flesh. Christ knows who God is. He knows that God is trustworthy, His Heavenly Father. He knows and uses the Word of God. Christ knows and uses the Word of God. When Satan comes and tries to misuse the Word of God, Christ quotes the Word of God and understands it correctly, knowing that it can be misunderstood. And Christ teaches others the correct understanding of the Word of God, knowing that it is misunderstood so often. And Christ refreshes his soul in fellowship with God. Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. How would you avoid being one of those ten men? How would you embrace what Paul says to Timothy? Well, look at Luke chapter 5. At the Lord Christ. Luke chapter 5. He heals a leper. And he tells him in verse 14. Luke chapter 5. He heals a leper. And he ordered him to tell no one. He didn't want the word to get out just yet. He didn't want the crowds coming just yet. He's got everything timed. He knows what he's here to do. And he's mindful that crowds could be a bit of a problem to some extent. And he tells him, tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther. And large crowds were gathering to hear him, to be healed of their sicknesses. There were lots of people who wanted things from Jesus. Verse 16. 
But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. The Greek there is saying this. It doesn't quite say it like that. It says in Greek that he himself was regularly praying and going to the deserts. He's doing this over and over again. That's why it says often in your book there. He's doing this over and over again. People are pressing against him and they're asking for good things. There's demands on his time, but he understands that there's something needful. And that is that he fellowship with God, that he would have something to give to others. There's something that he himself must be refreshed with his father, that he might then be able to go forward and do all that he is to do and to keep in touch with his dad, with his father, with his with the Trinity, with the Holy Spirit. He's mindful of that fellowship. And he does so over and over again, it says. And God grants us that opportunity in daily devotions and in the Lord's Day. In daily devotions and in the Lord's Day. Does Christ know us something about overwhelming opposition? Two million people were standing there the day of Caleb and Joshua. And it says only Joshua and Caleb wanted to go in. The rest of them wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb for telling the truth and believing in God. Christ knows something about that. At the arrest and the crucifixion, even his disciples abandoned him. Even his disciples abandoned him at the arrest. John tells us, writing in the Gospel of John, that he himself abandoned and that they grabbed his garment and he left it behind and ran away. But Christ was entrusting himself and kept entrusting himself to the Father. And God would have us to do the same. There are others who have gone before us and have done this, and we want to benefit by them as well. We see the Lord Christ and the beauty of true manhood set forth there, and then we see it set forth in others. And sometimes that's very beneficial. That's why Hebrews talks about saints as well as Christ, other saints. On the front of your bulletin, General Jackson, Stonewall Jackson is here. And he understands something about fighting the good fight. And he understands something about giving God the glory. He was a good Presbyterian, literally. He understood who God was and that God was sovereign. And he writes to his dear wife, Yesterday we fought a great battle and gained a great victory, for which all the glory is due to God alone. Although under a heavy fire for several continuous hours, I received only one wound, the breaking of the longest finger of my left hand. But the doctor says the finger may be saved. It was broken about midway between the hand and knuckle, the ball passing on the side next to the forefinger. Had it struck the center, I should have lost the finger. My horse was wounded, but not killed. Your coat, he's writing to his wife. His wife made him a coat. Your coat got an ugly wound near the hip. But my servant, who is very handy, has so far repaired it that it doesn't show very much. My preservation was entirely due, as was the glorious victory, to our God, to whom be all the honor, praise, and glory. God wants us to have realism about the challenges in this life. There are challenges in this life. General General Jackson goes on and says, War means fighting. The business of the soldier is to fight. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight. War means fighting. The business of the soldier is to fight. Armies are not called out to dig trenches, to throw up breastworks, to live in camps, but to find the enemy and strike him, 
to invade his country and do him all possible damage in the shortest possible time. This will involve great destruction of life and property while it lasts, but such a war will of necessity be of brief continuance, and so would be an economy of life and property in the end. To move swiftly, strike vigorously, and secure all the fruits of victory is the secret of successful war. The Lord Christ would have us to be thinking, to be mindful, have the perspective of soldiers, of Christ in this life. And Paul says to Timothy, that's us. And then finally, he says this, still, General Jackson, once you get them running, you stay right on top of them, and that way a small force can defeat a large one every time. I thought how remarkable that is, both in our own experience, and the Bible says one of you can put a thousand to flight and two ten thousand. But that reality here, that once you get them running, once you gain some victory over the evil one, once you gain some victory over sin, stay on top of it. But a small force can defeat a large one every time. And then he goes on and describes personal discipline. I want you to listen carefully to this. I did not include these quotes for the purpose that you not drink alcoholic beverages. That's not what this is there for. Personal discipline. Listen to these quotes. General Jackson is saying, I'm a general in warfare. And for me, I've decided that I can be a better general if I avoid this. That's what he's saying. And personal discipline is just that. For you to look at your life, that's what Paul is saying to Timothy, look at your life and do whatever you need to do for your life that you might serve God. He says, I like liquor, its taste and its effects, and that is just the reason why I never drink it. I am more afraid of king alcohol, he said to General Robert E. Lee, than all of the bullets of the enemy. He had seen, perhaps maybe in his life or in the lives of others, and he decided for him that that was something he wasn't going to do. The point here is not about alcohol. The point is making decisions about yourself, personal discipline that you're going to find things that will help you in serving God. And if there are things that are hindering you, you're going to put them aside. And then God would have Timothy to be a benefit to others. Be a benefit to others. Look what he says here. This is from Heraclitus. I love this. Christopher gave me this quote. I love it. Out of every 100 men, 10 should not even be there. We're talking about soldiers. 80 are just targets. Nine are the real fighters, and we are fortunate to have them, for they make the battle. Ah, but the one. One is a warrior, and he will bring the others back. And think about Christ as our champion. There is one, just one. And Christ has overcome the evil one in our sin. And he is bringing people from every nation and language, people group, back to the Heavenly Father to worship him in spirit and in truth. We are to be a benefit to others as we serve our good God, to strengthen and encourage them as well. And finally, that we will be ready to depart. Ready to depart at all times. I love this. This is what General Jackson on his deathbed said, I see from the number of physicians that you think my condition dangerous. But I thank God, if it is his will, that I am ready to go. Amen. I thank God that I am ready to go. Look back at your text one more time. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll just read through one more time. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God, 
and pursue righteousness, that is, right action toward one another, godliness, holy affections toward God, faith, trust in God and in God's faithfulness and character and attributes. God is worthy of our trust. Love, we're to do everything in love. Perseverance, to do it again and again and again. And gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. From here to the end of the chapter, he is describing to Timothy, look to Christ as though he is holding out your eternal life in his hand and run toward him. Look to Christ as though he has your eternal life in his hand and run toward him is what he is saying. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives all to all things and of Christ Jesus who testifies the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Will you pray with me, please? God, we do praise you and thank you for your faithfulness. That when we are unfaithful, you are faithful. We thank you for the faithfulness of Christ as second Adam, who did all things from his heart, who kept all of your commandments and did all that you require, and then laying down his robe of righteousness at the foot of the cross, he takes our sins upon him and dies for our sins. That you made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the very righteousness of God in Christ. God, we praise you and thank you that there is one righteous, yes, just one, Jesus Christ the righteous. And God, we do thank you on this All Saints Day that you have given us many examples in Scripture of men and women through whom you have worked and granted a different spirit to know and love you, to glorify in you, to trust you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us such a different spirit, that you would increase our faith. God, we pray this for Kyle in particular and for every one of us. God, that as challenging circumstances come our way, that we would take up the sword of the Spirit, even the Word of God, and the shield of faith, our confidence in you, the helmet of salvation, that he who did not spare his only Son, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? The breastplate of righteousness, God, that we would do that which you call us to do by the power of your Holy Spirit. The belt of truth, that we would love your truth and be transparent and honest about our shortcomings. That we would acknowledge again and again our great need of our great Savior. 
and feet shod with preparation for the gospel, that we would at all times be ready to declare by our lives and by our lips your glory, your salvation in Christ Jesus. Grant, God, that we would walk as valiant for truth, as great heart and great grace, as Christian and hopeful and faithful. Bless us, Heavenly Father, to place every blessing and every affliction in this life against the backdrop of eternity and look for your glory. We pray this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive now the blessing of God for the people of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever. Amen.
You've been listening to Head, Heart, and Hands with Bob Carter. This Bible teaching has been sponsored by River City Reformed Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. Our website is rivercityreform.org. River City Reformed Church meets on Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Temple Baptist Activity Center located on the corner of 17th Street Extension and George Anderson Drive. Please visit rivercityreform.org for more information or call us at 910-520-0272. That's 910-520-0272. At River City Reformed Church, we are all about loving God with our heads, hearts, and hands. We desire to know the one true God correctly. We long to love God, our Creator and Savior, passionately. We seek to worship and serve God willingly through the power of His Spirit. God wants us and you to ask good questions. He wants us to build our faith on credible evidence, not just a blind leap. Biblical Christianity is true. He also requires and strengthens us to conform our values and behavior to reflect His goodness and holiness. We're thinking, loving, serving. Come and see. John Piper has observed, worship is not the performance of a routine of hymns and prayers and preaching and anthems. When the angel said to John who had fallen at his feet, Don't do that to me, worship God. He did not mean recite a creed or open your hymnal or listen to a sermon. He meant connect with God. Focus on God, not the messenger. Concentrate on God, not the hymn tune. Pursue God, not just knowledge about God. And in all your focusing and concentrating and pursuing after God, seek to stir up your feelings to love Him and honor Him and admire Him and fear Him and enjoy Him and savor Him. At River City, we agree. And we are not limited by a particular style. Rather, we are compelled by a timeless thanksgiving, repentance, joy, and reverence. Our Sunday morning worship is in Wilmington, North Carolina. Please visit rivercityreform.org for more information. On Sunday evenings, we meet for Bible study led by our pastor, Bob Carter. This study meets at 5 p.m. All are invited. Come and see. Come and see.